Happiness is just about trying to be better every day and feeling your feelings and asking for help when you need help and just doing your best and stumbling forward. You know, that was basically his answer. And, and I, I really think that's true. Again, not sexy, but I think that's really the key. And I guess it comes down to what do you want out of your life? Hmm. I would rather be happy and fulfilled than stand on a podium. Now, I would love to do both, but I choose happy and fulfilled uh, first. And I think that's what most of us want. Josh, wanted to say thanks again for taking some time to chat with us today and, and wanted to just kind of give you a chance to start this by telling people a little bit about what it is you do, because it seems like a, a broad spectrum of things. Yes. First of all, thanks for having me. I love doing this. I love having an opportunity to talk about what I'm passionate about. So thank you. Uh, and yeah, I do a lot of different things. I wear many hats. I will try not to have this be a 15 minute answer, uh, but basically I help people find and step into the strongest version of who they are. So I call myself a performance coach or a success coach. My my background is in fitness and nutrition. I was a personal trainer for a really long time. I have a master's degree in nutrition. So I've been a nutritionist for 20 years. Uh, so part of you know helping people find and step into the strongest version of who they are usually is a big kind of health and wellness, fitness and nutrition piece. Um, but what I've really become passionate about over the last 10 or 15 years is kind of the mind-body connection, the emotional and the mental health side of all of that and how that translates and creates deep change. So in my work with people, there's always also a big kind of emotional and mental component. Why do I make decisions that hold me back? What's going on in my head? What's what? How do I sort through all those voices that are often at odds? Uh, so I help people kind of navigate all of that and however that looks. Uh, but I just, I love, I love the science of change. I love deep change work and I love helping people live their best lives and be who they want to be. No, that's, that's an awesome answer. And it's like part of the reason I started this podcast was like, initially it was going to be kind of about entrepreneurialism and it's like, but you realize so much about success just in life in general and including in your business comes back to all those things you touched on, right? Like how I'm feeling, how I'm doing mentally and physically. What are the common things, you know, you kind of talked about those inner voices or the, the struggles that people have whenever they're trying to make that connection of like, hey, I want, everybody wants to be healthier. What, what are those roadblocks that people are facing? Yeah, man, that's a great question and a, and a complicated question. <laughs> but, but you're right. Like if it was as easy as I just want to be different or if it was as easy, easy as just finding the information, Everyone, everybody would be who they want to be and living the lives they want. So, you know, when I first became a nutritionist and a personal trainer, I was a little bit of the disseminator of information. You know, the internet wasn't huge back then. Now we all have access to the same information. So a lot of what I do is help people figure out what information is right for me and how does it apply to me? Because that's kind of the next wave of wellness is really individualized healthcare and advice. So that's a lot of what I do. But then a lot of what I do is what you just alluded to is the kind of the mental and emotional, what are the road blocks and how do I identify them and get over them? So I would say kind of the low hanging fruit there and, and what I talk about with a lot of my clients in different ways is these voices in our heads that are just a part of who we are. 
it's a, it's just a model. So my dad is a psychologist, awesome, awesome psychologist has helped a lot of people. And I've done coaching work with him. We, we've had a podcast together and he uses a model called the PAC model, parent, adult, child, uh, which I'll explain in a second, but it's just a model. It doesn't mean this is the only way to think about this, but it is a very helpful way to figure out, oh, that's what's going on inside of me. And then once you realize it, to have choice and agency because you see what's happening. So just really quickly, the PAC model says, these voices inside of us, there's a critical voice, there's a nurturing voice, there's a young, like scared voice called the adaptive child, and there's a young, I wanna go play and have fun, free child voice. And then hopefully there's a voice somewhere in the middle that's the adult voice that kind of recognizes all those parts and says, thank you, thank you, this is how we're gonna move forward. So most of us in Western society have a very well-developed, very loud, critical voice. It can also be called the critical parent. In fact, a lot of us actually hear our parents' voice in our head. That's, that's the voice that wants us to achieve. It wants us to be better. It's always weighing and measuring and judging. It's often very angry in a lot of people. And, and you're, it's never enough. You know, I could win a race, I should have run faster. I could get a master's, I should have got a PhD. That's the voice that drives us. So that voice, again, tends to be really well-developed. It doesn't usually lead to happiness. It leads to achievement. It doesn't necessarily lead to happiness unless we balance that with other parts. So the balancing voice to that is our nurturing, our nurturing voice, our nurturing parent. That's the voice that is often very quiet in Western society. Lots of us can't even hear that voice. And that's the voice that says, hey, you are okay right now as you are in your skin, just the way you are. You don't have to be anything else. You don't have to do anything else. You're okay, period. So a lot of us have uh, like benevolent critics. Like my dad and I have had this discussion, you know, like I'm great because I've written best-selling books and I've won races and so that's like really encouraging, but it's still weighing and measuring. It's still about achievement. So that's not a, a true nurturer. The true nurturer is just, you are okay, period. J j mic drop, you're okay. And then the, the adaptive child, the scared child is really driven by fear, just wants to be safe. That's your three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old that you can, if you're aware, you often notice yourself kind of drop into that energy when something scares you and you're you're operating in a situation and you kind of go sideways and then you look back and you're like, why did I act like that? That didn't make a lot of sense. Well, it's because you were reacting to something that you're wired up that happened 35 years ago. That's It just wants you to be safe and okay. And we often make lots of decisions from that place without realizing it. When we don't take opportunities, when we don't step up, when we back away from things, when we end relationships, we're often coming from that adaptive, scared child voice. And then the last one is the free child that doesn't want rules. A, a lot of us are really well connected with this and a lot of us aren't at all. Just wants to play, just wants to adventure, just wants to have fun, doesn't want to pay bills, doesn't want to do taxes, just wants to have fun, which is a great, great energy, but not if you don't weigh it with other things. And then, like I said, the adult hopefully can say, thank you, critic, thank you, nurturer, Thank you. Weigh in like a board meeting. And I hear you all because you don't want to 
you don't want to squash any of the voices. It's important that they all feel heard. Uh, so see them all, acknowledge them all, and then decide as the adult, this is how I'm going to move forward with choice. So that was kind of a long answer. But starting from that point so that we can see what's going on in our heads and in our hearts is a really good start to moving through the world with, with choice and agency. No, no, and I appreciate you breaking that down. Is the idea then that you're using a, a balance between all the voices or like you said, just that adult piece differentiates and says, well, based on this feedback, I, I can lean more towards one in this situation, but more towards another in a, in a different situation. Yes, that's the idea. So in a perfect world, your adult is always going to be the one choosing and, and it will choose based on the situation to go with, maybe it's the right move to go with the critic on this one. Uh, maybe it's the right move to go with the free child on this one, but at least you're choosing with your adult because life starts to get really wonky when we are choosing with one of the other voices. You know, when the, the free child's driving the bus and we put $40,000 on the credit card because we just want to go play, that's not a great way to be. When the adaptive child is driving the bus and, you know, we end relationships every three weeks because we're afraid to be vulnerable. That's that's not a great way to be when our critic is driving the bus, which is really common. And, you know, we have seven PhDs and we've written nine books and we mistreat everybody in our lives and we're really unhappy. That's not a great way to be. So we don't really want to be driving the bus exclusively with any of our parts. We want to be able to see them all, acknowledge them all, listen to them all and then move forward with the adult voice choosing in that moment. And that just takes practice. It takes recognizing, it takes mindfulness. There's some, some skills we can do around, how do I even start that? Uh, but it becomes really just like, this is what I do. Like any change, it's really weird and uncomfortable at first. And then you kind of see it and you're trying to learn. And then eventually it just becomes, this is who I am and what I do. And it's, it's really fun with the work I do to see that process in people. Uh, and to have it just become natural, they have a board meeting going on at all times and they really walk through the world with power. Because I think that's what it's about. It's about showing up with power and purpose as much as we can, rather than letting the world just happen to us. When you talk about those skills, because like kind of we were alluding to earlier, there's information out there. Everybody can have that information. Is understanding these different voices enough or how do we actually start to then take action on that appropriate voice in the appropriate situation, right? Like, how do we build those skills to say, like, I, I like I can think of scenarios where I've heard all those voices, but it's like, like you said, the, the child at play is the easier, like, sometimes it's still easier to do that. And it's the same way with, you know, weight loss, like it's, you know, I know what I'm supposed to eat, but it's easier and tastier sometimes to do the not so healthy option. So how do we build that, that discipline, then to actually follow through once we have the understanding? It is about mindfulness and it's about practice. So knowing what's happening, understanding these voices is actually a really big step. When I introduce this to people, it blows their minds because it kind of explains what's been going on in their life forever. It's like, oh, I'm not crazy. I'm just <laughs> human. And, and I have different parts of me that want different things. So it validates and it explains. So understanding the voices is really, really important. But then just having patience with yourself and practicing mindfulness to in a 
uncomfortable situation. I call them crucial moments. You know, most of us live our lives the way we want to live most of the time, but most of us have three, four, five different kind of habitual moments in a day or in a week that are really high leverage, that are really challenging for us. Maybe it's when I'm at a buffet, it's really hard for me to make decisions that support my goals. Maybe it's when I'm in a coffee shop, it's really hard for me to make decisions that support my goals. Maybe it's when my spouse is angry with me, it's really hard for me to make decisions that support my goals. So most of us have a handful of these high leverage moments that I call crucial moments. And what we do is just practice. So when you're not in one of those moments, you set the intention. When I am feeling revved up in one of those tough moments, I am going to try to be mindful and check in with myself and see what all my, what the conversation going on with my voices. And at first, that's all we're doing is just mindfulness. Like one of my favorite exercises with nutrition clients is before you eat, just ask yourself, why am I eating this? Am I bored? Am I sad? Am I hungry? Am I tired? Am I mad? And what you do with that information is up to you, but you are building awareness and mindfulness. So same thing with the voices, same thing with any change. Mindfulness has to come first, just seeing what's happening. And then once you are aware what's happening, it's way easier to try to manipulate that a little bit, to go, okay, critic, I hear you. Thank you. I know you're just trying to keep me safe. I'm going to make a different decision. Or um, a higher level, actually bringing in your nurturing voice, because you can actually have these voices talk to each other. It sounds kind of crazy, but it works really well. You can actually sit there in the moment while you're feeling challenged or revved up and soothe yourself and have a conversation with the different parts of yourself. So a great one, an easy one is to bring your nurturer in to make your adaptive child feel safe. You know, may maybe I'm... Uh, doing an ultra run and you know because we all have these issues not just people who are quote broken newsflash we're all broken or 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 better yet none of us are broken we're all just trying to do our best um so maybe i'm doing an ultra marathon and it involves some climbing which is what happened with me and my sister last week maybe i'm afraid of heights so I'm standing there, I'm safe. Some parts of me know I'm safe, but I'm terrified. So maybe I bring in my nurturing voice to tell my scared adaptive child, it's okay, I got you. Which again, sounds kind of crazy just here. But when you do it in the moment, you can really soothe yourself. So it's, it's practicing things like that. And every time you do it, you're building new brain wiring to where very quickly, it just becomes natural. Next time I'm afraid, I naturally bring in my nurturer to say, you're okay, I got you. Or I naturally bring in another part of me to balance my critical voice uh, rather than just let it drive the bus. So it is just, it's a it's awareness and it's practice. That's that's it. I know that's not sexy, but that's the answer. <laughs> that's what's uh, you know funny is most of the things that work in the real world aren't the sexy answer, right? I mean, it's just the hard work and discipline. And before we dive into more specifics, you kind of alluded to the fact where you said something about the difference between achievement versus happiness. When you're talking to your clients, how, how do you uh, reconcile that discrepancy? Boy, that's a big one for me and something that I've personally really walked a long road on. Um, I was a baseball player. For me, a lot of what I do and a lot of my self-worth and a lot of my analogies and, and identity is around sport. 
Um, so I, I'll talk about that a lot. I, I feel like sport is a great crucible for life. It's a great way to figure out who we are and to kind of practice in a safe way uh, and, and in a way that helps us be better humans. So uh, I was a baseball player and then I was, I was a good baseball player. Then I was a very mediocre triathlete and I've become a pretty good ultra runner. But that mediocre triathlete piece was like, oh, is, okay, I'm not the best at this. I'm not going to win these races. I'm not going to be on podiums. Nobody's going to notice me, whatever. Very like external stuff. Is there still value in doing this, even though I'm not going to be the best? So that was kind of the beginning of that journey for me. And that was whatever, 15, 20 years ago. And not surprisingly, that has made me a much better coach walking that myself personally. Uh, and I've really come to love the, you know, the, there's reason to do these things. There's reasons to throw ourselves at life, to push the boundaries of what we believe we're capable of, to figure out who we are and what we're made of. That's why we do these things. It doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. It doesn't matter whether you're on a podium or whether you're first place or a hundredth place, like really, truly, none of that matters at all. What matters is what do I find out about myself? Like who am I and what am I made of? And I, I, I've grown to love that myself. And that is really the, the conversation I start with my clients. And it's one thing for me to tell you that it's another thing for you to figure that out on your own. And, you know, but everybody does figure that out on their own. And again, my my clients, a lot of them are are doing running or triathlon or something like that. But you don't have to come to that by way of sport. You can come to that by way of anything. And I absolutely think there's value in doing hard things and putting yourself out there and being uncomfortable and trying to climb that mountain. But don't climb the mountain because you have to to be okay. You're okay as you are. Climb the mountain because it's there and because you can and because you'll learn something about yourself. So that's that's my message to people. That's super powerful. And it's something that, you know, I, I did sports as, as, when I was younger as well. So I get it. And it's like, I, I struggled with this a lot, especially recently. I've been talking to a lot more like mental health people and stuff on this podcast. And it's like really opened my eyes because traditionally I've always considered success in, in a similar fashion where it's like, it's that just that standard, you know, societal idea of, oh, I achieve these goals. That's what success is, or I have X amount of dollars, or I, I did this that I can show other yeah. people. And, and and more and more, I'm starting to think that it's like the better definition is really just that consistent progress towards attainment that fulfills your purpose. Like if you're, if you're constantly getting better and, and better in yourself and better towards what actually drives you, that's what matters, right? Amen. In fact, there's a great quote in Ted Lasso. Have you seen Ted Lasso? <laughs> no. Oh, it's it's an awesome show. Uh, it's a really good kind of just parable for life. But one of the last episodes, uh, one of the main characters is kind of a grumpy guy. He's had a really rocky road. And you can tell the last season, he's really trying to work on himself. And he asks a question to a group of guys, like, what is happiness? I forget the exact question, but it's like, how do I get better? How do I make myself happy? How do I find happiness? And all of them are kind of stumped. But one of the guys says something to the effect of happiness is just about trying to be better every day and 
feeling your feelings and asking for help when you need help and just doing your best and stumbling forward. You know, that was basically his answer. And and I, I really think that's true. Again, not sexy, but I think that's really the key. And I guess it comes down to what do you want out of your life? Hmm. I would rather be happy and fulfilled than stand on a podium. Now, I would love to do both, but I choose happy and fulfilled uh, first. And I think that's what most of us want. Well, because the the podium piece is for extrinsic factors. Like, I just want to show someone something. It's validation yes. from for some other meaning, right? Exactly. But how, so one of the things that I think about and I, I wanted to ask you about is when we think about nutrition, I always worry, you know, when I was younger, it was like, am I doing this, like, you know, working out and doing this for like vanity reasons? And like, how do I start to transition to thinking about just like longevity and just being the healthy version of myself? Like, how do you work through um, the mindset around sustainable eating practices. I don't even know what to call it because I don't think diet's the right word. I don't think we should go in and out of diets, but like consistently being able to make better choices, you know, without being like too restrictive. Great question. And yeah, we could really go off on a tangent. <laughs> right. This is something that has been challenging for me in the 20 years I've been a nutritionist because I have always been interested in longevity, in health, in the long game, in you know eating well because it's going to make me feel better and give me energy and help me live longer not necessarily because it's going to give me better abs right. and that that is a a societal conversation that has kind of caught up to me you know 20 years ago it was all about the abs hmm. now you can't talk about people's bodies it's hard to even talk about weight loss uh it's much more about am i strong am i healthy Am I setting myself up to live a long time? So it's kind of cool that the the world has kind of caught up with how I have always approached it. And people are more open to listening. In fact, I've wanted to call myself a longevity coach a while ago. And one of my coaches was like, nobody knows what that is. That's a super small niche. Don't do that. And now I'm like, I could absolutely call myself a longevity coach. Everybody's on this board, on, on this ship now. Um, but I think it's just, Again, it kind of all funnels to the same source. I will have this very conversation with my clients. Like, why do you care about this? If you're motivated by being ripped, that's that's okay to have that be one of your motivators. I'm not going to judge your motivators, but I really try to flush out the full why behind why do I care about this? You know, because it's easy when you're motivated today on a two, on a Wednesday to, to eat broccoli and chicken, but we're always selling our souls for our future selves. We're always committing our future selves to, yeah, I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to, I'm going to fast. I'm going to do all these things. We don't want to be uncomfortable now. We want to commit our future selves to do that. So, you know, I have these conversations with my clients and it's all about mindset. It's about understanding your why it's about understanding the science of change. Motivation is only one small piece of change. So we talk about all of the ways to make change easier for us. Uh, and then just being crystal clear on why do I care about this? What are your practices when we think about longevity? Obviously, you're into the running and it's like, um, 
you know, there, there's so much research about like cardiovascular health, but then also like, you know, I've looked a lot into like the blue zone diets and things like that. So when you, if you could break down like a few keys of like, Hey, here's what I would tell you if you, if longevity is your focus and which it probably should be, cause you don't want to sacrifice longevity just for the aesthetic in the short term. Um, but what are, what would be some like simple, not, not necessarily simple, but key pieces. Takeaways. Yeah. It's interesting what you say about aesthetics and longevity, because I work with a lot of athletes and almost all the time, everything is going to move in the same direction. Like what's going to make me a better athlete. What's going to make my body look better is also going to make me live longer. That's not always true, but it's almost always true. So it's really important when that isn't true to be able to have that conversation with yourself and understand what your goals are. So first of all, I think blue zones is great. Highly recommend that book. And it's a now a Netflix series. I think it's on Netflix. Really good, actionable stuff about the populations in the world who live the longest. Um, and then Outlive, I'm sure you've heard of that by Dr. Peter Atia, is a brand new book about, about longevity. Very science-based, almost to the point of annoying me sometimes because he won't go anywhere unless there's a ton of science. But I, I think that's good. I think that's necessary because everybody's an expert. There's so much hearsay. Everybody does a study on themselves and their brother. And then that, and then they have a platform on social media and that becomes a thing. So I think science-based is great. Um, and I think sometimes we're, we're a little farther along than science has caught up with. So I think being able to look at everything and talk to a coach, somebody like me to help you sort through it is important. With that said, some quick longevity takeaways. Exercise is probably the biggest thing you can do. A mixture of exercise. So you want strong heart. You want to make sure you're doing some cardio. It's also really important to be strong. You know, if you look at the indicators of longevity, a lot of them are about strength, the ability to do a couple pull-ups, the ability to do some squats, the ability to get up off the ground with no hands or maybe with one hand. Like we want to be able to move our bodies through space with strength. So some resistance training, some explosive stuff to get our heart rate up, you know, sprinting or Tabata type stuff or HIT type stuff, CrossFit type stuff. And then some cardio. So a mixture of exercise, really, really good for longevity. Probably the most important thing. Eating wise, uh, it's really hard to do good studies on nutrition because it takes a long time because it's usually self-reported. It doesn't happen in a lab. So with that as a caveat, I think it's been fairly well proven that a plant-based diet is the most healthy, longevity-promoting way of eating. That doesn't mean you have to be vegan, but a lot of vegetables rooted in a whole foods diet. So, you know, fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, whole grains in smaller amounts, uh, you know, like meat and seafood in high quality. High quality is really key. So, you know, like a a cat, this is my opinion, I think fairly weighted in science, but also my opinion. A, a cow that is raised on antibiotics and corn is not the same food as a free range cow that's eating whatever is out there that hasn't had antibiotics shot into them. Like 
what that cow is actually made of that you will be consuming are two different things, even though they're both called a cow. So I think every time you can eat the buzzwords, you know, organic, free range, grass fed, all that stuff. Sometimes it's BS. I think 87% of the time it's, it's worth it. So really high quality whole foods, lots of plants, lots of fruit, vegetables, a smaller amount of fruits, uh, I think is, is probably the best way to go. And then just staying in a healthy calorie window. So we like to make nutrition so hard, but really it's pretty simple. Like if we're eating about the amount of calories our body needs to survive, we're going to stay at the same weight and we'll be pretty healthy. If we turn that knob down a little bit and we lose a little weight or we're a little calorie, calorie deficit, science has shown that to be very good for longevity. If we're always eating a little bit more than we need and we're always a bit full and we're gaining weight, that's pretty terrible for longevity. So that's, I would say those are the takeaways. There's a lot more to longevity, but if you're asking me for my like top things, exercise a lot, eat a little bit less than you need most of the time and center that in a whole foods plant-based diet. And I think you're going to be, you're going to be miles ahead of most people. And then if you want to dive way more into that, read that book, Outlive and or send me an email and we can we can get into the weeds i'm actually in the process of creating a longevity course an online longevity course so i can i can give you my uh contact information and people can look me up no that's awesome and you know i, I guess i just keep going back to this fact that it's like we it seems so simple right it's like yeah exercise eat less than we should than we than we need to be in that deficit and you kind of talked about it when you were like when we think about a long distance marathon, Hey, I'm going to do this in the future. And we commit our future selves to it. I'm bad about like, well, I got, I want to, I'll start Monday. I'll start eating healthy. It's like, does that go back to when we think about the mindset of like that, it, does it still go back to the pack model? Is it, is this a little bit different where it's like just practice and, and being observant of like, what are my triggers to like, not do that? Like, how do I get away from committing my future self to things that I'm not actually going to do? Yeah, great question. And I think it does go back to the pack model. Personally, I think everything goes back to the pack model because we are making a decision with one of those voices all the time. I mean, we're that's us. So some part of us is saying, hey, this is what I want to do, or hey, this is what I don't want to do. And we're making a decision with that. So the, the reason we commit our future selves to things is because we don't want to be uncomfortable today. And that doesn't make you weak. That makes you human. So knowing that is the key. Being aware, this is what I'm doing right now. I don't want to do this today because it's uncomfortable. So I'm committing myself to do it on Friday. And I'm going to choose to do it today because it's important to me. So again, being aware is the key. I think uh, engaging all the sources of influence of change are really important. So we that's kind of a big topic. I can just throw it out really quick. And if you want to talk about it more, we can. Sure. But there are there are six sources of influence, six things that influence us to change or not change. Some of those are personal, like our personal motivation and skills. Some of those are social, our social motivation and skills. And then some of those are structural, like how our lives are organized, uh, the skills and structure of that. And there's things we can do around all of those, skills we can learn around all of those to increase our chances for success. A lot of us think change is about our, our motivation. 
if I'm motivated enough, if I want it bad enough, I'm going to do it. And depending on how strong your discipline and motivation is, that might work for a week or two weeks or three weeks, but eventually that fails because there's so many forces of, I like to call them forces of evil that make change hard. And your motivation is like, if it's like a chessboard, your motivation is one white knight and the forces of evil is the whole black army. So engaging the other six sources of influence and actively creating a strategy and doing things on purpose to fill up our chessboard increases our chances of success. And that's all we're trying to do, right? Like, it's not about being perfect. You don't need to be perfect to change. That's not how change works. That's not how life works. It's about most of the time, can I move in the direction that takes me toward my goals? You know, seven out of 10 times instead of three out of 10 times. And if we do that more often than not, just moving in the right direction, bumping our head against the wall, changing course, bumping our head against the wall, having grace with ourselves. That's that's awesome. That's all we can do. That's all we can expect of ourselves. And that that will take us toward where we want to go pretty darn fast. If, again, if we do it with strategy and intention. No, I like that. And do you um I'm I'm going to switch gears again. I, I want to think about the uh these marathons and stuff do you like having something on the horizon that you're like training for does that help you stay consistent because that's one thing i've thought about like because i hate running and but i know it's important (laughs) and it's like well maybe if i like committed to uh maybe it's just a 5k to start or a 10k or whatever and it's like putting that on the horizon is something i gotta train for could that help me you know at least stay a little bit more consistent and get on on a schedule of doing it one million percent Like, yeah, my clients that don't want to train for something and just want to be healthy are less adherent and less motivated, knowing I'm going to have to run 26 miles or whatever it is, run 100 miles. uh, That gets you up in the morning. And I know this is going to be hard to believe, but I've experienced it myself over many years. Eventually, you just fall in love with the training. And I, I call it chopping wood and carrying water. You know, like change happens by every day showing up and chopping wood and carrying water. It's snowing. I don't care. Chop wood, carry water. I'm tired. I don't care. Chop wood, carry water. And eventually you fall in love with chopping wood and carrying water. I know that sounds crazy, but I've done it myself and I've seen it happen a hundred times. And that's when you've kind of, not that I've arrived or anybody's arrived, but that's when you're like, yes. It doesn't even matter if I have a race. I mean, a race is fun. It's fun to train for and do a race, but I just love getting up in the morning and going outside and being in my body. And it's, it's been a really cool thing to watch that gradual process and to see that happen in my clients as well. So, but absolutely I would start with, especially if you're having trouble being motivated, put a goal out there for yourself. I mean, we all know the science and power of goals. In business, definitely, or or finances, definitely for your body, hugely, hugely important. And I would also say, as much as I love running, you don't need to run. You, you should do some kind of cardio, swimming, biking, ice skating, you know, something where you're getting your heart rate raised for long periods of time is important. But if you don't like running, you don't have to run. I'm also a really big believer in life is too short to do things you hate. I mean, there's power in learning new things and being uncomfortable, 
but you know, if you've been trying to make yourself run for 10 years and you don't like running, maybe go try something else. <laughs> well, that's a good point. I just like the way I feel. I actually like the way I feel afterwards. And I feel like accomplished yeah. and it's like, oh, I forced myself to do something I didn't like to do. And my body feels better. It's just that initial. And when, like, like you said, once you get in the habit of it, it's not as bad. And it's like, I always apply that mindset to, to like business and it's, but the, the terminology I use is like, nobody cares, work harder. Like it, like whatever's going on, nobody else can just do your job. Like just keep right. getting through. Um, so can I ask you a question? Have sure. you ever, have you ever done any trail running? No. So I'll, I will offer this. I also used to hate running as a baseball player. They made us run and I hated it. I remember running on the treadmill in the off season and 15 minutes seemed like 10 hours. I just hated it. And then I started running after high school and college on the pavement. And I still did it just to stay healthy, but I never fell in love with it. When I fell in love with running was when I went to the trails and it's, it's an entirely different experience. It's softer ground. So it feels better on your body. You're going up and down. So you're using different muscles. And you're looking at the trees, you're hearing the birds, you're hearing the water. It's a very like full body visceral experience. It's almost spiritual for me. And it's, I love, I love running. And that only happened because I, I found trail running. So you, you might try that. No, that's a really good idea. Cause yeah, it, the treadmill is the worst. I can't do yeah, it. Like, it I'm like, I'm, I don't know if it's my ADD or what. It's like, I cannot sit here and do this. Cause it feels like it, an eternity. But yeah, uh, I, I can do the road better because I get distracted. I would rather run for six hours on a trail than one hour on a treadmill right. any day of the week. <laughs> yeah, I, that that's no good. You one of the I did want to ask you too as we're uh, starting to close in on time. I wanted to you you talk a lot about holistic happiness. What does that mean? So holistic happiness is this idea that there are many parts of being a human that are important to explore and express to be fulfilled and happy. So, you know, there's physical nutrition and health. That's kind of one area. There's spiritual and service and contribution. That's another area. There's career, business, and financial. That's another area. There's adventure and lifestyle. That's another area. There's learning and intellectual. What am I doing with my mind every day? Am I staying engaged? And then there's family and friends and connection. So all of us are at it on, on different levels of engagement on these. My argument, and, and I don't know if I coined the term holistic happiness. I've, ever, I've never seen it before, but I use that term a lot. Uh, I really believe in order to be happy and in order to be fully engaged in our lives, and in order to live the best version of ourselves, we really need to explore all of these on purpose. Now, that doesn't mean perfect balance. Perfect balance doesn't exist. But I really believe you should have a strategy and you know dive into these things on purpose. When was the last time you learned something on purpose? It's probably been a long time. Maybe it's time to learn the guitar or learn Spanish. When was the last time you chose to step into adventure, even in your normal day? on purpose, you know, drive a different route to work, go hike to the top of that hill that's just outside of, of town. Um, when was the last time you told somebody really important that you love them and they're important to you? Some of us do that really well, some of us don't. So, you know, I really believe 
you got to jump into this stuff on purpose. And the more you do it, the more they will kind of work together synergistically to make your life better. In fact, I wrote a book about it. Uh, I don't know if that's why you asked me. If that is why you asked me, that was a great lead in. Uh, yeah, I've written three books. My last book uh, is called Forging Discipline, 12 Months, 12 Challenges, One Badass You. And it is all about uh, challenges to invite these areas of life into your life and, and how to do that and how to make it fun. It's all about being fun. You know, sometimes people will talk to me and they think, man, this guy's intense and serious. And sometimes I am. I'm I'm really passionate and serious about being the best version of yourself. But within that, I think you got to make it fun. Life's too short to do things that aren't fun. No, I agree 100%. And I like your energy about it. It's 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 infectious, you know. So it's but I want to also touch on the your um the program that you have on your site, the 12 week program about lose weight find you. What does that mean and what does somebody go through when they do that program? Yeah, thank you. I'm really excited about this. It's a program I've been running for about a year. It's it's a culmination of everything I've learned and everything I've seen work effectively in my work as a personal trainer and nutritionist and mindset coach over the last 15, 20 years. And I, I just had this idea during COVID. What if I put it all together? What if I put everything I've seen work together in a 12-week package and I made it really deliverable and easy for people? So that's what this is. So it is a way for people to lose weight, to feel better in their skin, but also to reconnect with their purpose. That's why it's called Lose Weight, Find You. So you will lose weight, but it's also really about exploring these life areas and kind of reconnecting with your purpose and passion. And in my experience, people do lose weight. That's why they're there. But the part that they really get excited about and the reason they stay uh, and keep exploring that stuff is because they really reconnect with this is who I am and this is what I'm excited about. Uh, so yeah, it's a 12 week program. It's all online. There's some live weekly coaching. There's a Facebook group with support. Uh, it's been really effective. It's super fun for me and for the people. It's, it's an awesome community and uh, yeah, people love it. They lose weight, they have fun and, and the, most of them stick around. So if, if people are interested in learning more about that, they can absolutely email me or check out my website. When you talk about finding your passion and your, and your purpose, what does that look like to you? Cause this is something I'm, I'm big on too. And it's like, uh, I'm, I'm curious everybody's perspective of this, but like when you talk to somebody about fi like finding their passion, what does that mean? That is not an easy answer, but I, I, I love that question. <laughs> so, so my answer to that is kind of everything we've already talked about. I think the key to that, kind of the baseline of that is to, to move through the world with intention and choice. You know, if we're being led around by our noses, by these voices in our heads, and we don't understand why we're doing what we're doing, we have no awareness about why we're doing what we're doing. We are doing things for other people. We're doing things out of fear. We're doing things because we think we should, not because we want to. That is a recipe for unhappiness, for being in a dark place, for waking up when you're 40 and realizing I'm not where I want to be. You know, if we kind of buy into the traditional American dream, not that there's not some great things about that, but if we buy into wholeheartedly, I need to have a huge house and I need to have the huge car and I need to have two and a half kids and I need to have the perfect spouse. And that's what's driving us. 
I've seen it happen many, many times. Most of my clients are kind of middle-aged and they get there and they realize, okay, now what? This isn't actually what I want. So I think, again, being mindful of what's driving us, kind of starting there, and then listening to, you know, exploring these areas we just talked about. Exploring the different parts of self and the different parts of life and really listening to and connecting with what makes my soul sing? What makes me happy? What makes me feel connected? What makes me feel like, yes, this is why I'm here. Uh, a lot of people haven't felt that in a long time, if not ever. And if you're really open to it, this is all about openness. Just being open to what do I feel? What do I see? What am I, what's happening to me right now? Uh, and then kind of having that tuning fork on and 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 seeing what what's resonating with me man i really loved learning the guitar not only did i love learning the guitar i loved the the guy who was teaching me the guitar like i feel like i would love to teach that if you're open to just experiencing life and recognizing what hits your tuning fork it, it's amazing what pops up and it can be very surprising especially if you've been living from the shoulds and the need to mm. and the supposed to when you kind of are when you have the courage to leave that by the wayside and just open yourself to what makes me happy what do i love to do where do i want to be who do i want to spend time with what do i want to spend my days doing what shows up is really interesting and super inspiring i appreciate you sharing that now i have two more questions one when you talk about your book, because um, and and those twelve challenges, what what's something that in your life, like I'm curious, after the fact that you've been like a coach and 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 feel like you've have a better understanding of this mindset and things, what's the biggest challenge you face on a day to day basis, or when you think about scheduling something out, what's what's something that you still struggle with? Nobody's ever asked me that. I like that question. Um, what comes to mind is just staying keep staying engaged with why I care and that I can actually help people. So sometimes it can get very frustrating because it doesn't feel like I'm making a difference or it doesn't feel like I'm making a big enough difference. Mm. It, do it doesn't feel like people are hearing me sometimes, you know, and that's just human nature. People have to hear things seven times before they even start listening. So, you know, I'm, really passionate about this stuff and if i don't feel that connection between i want to help people and i'm actually helping people i can start to feel uh a little down so i would say that's my biggest challenge and all my work is virtual now you know it used to be in person then covid hit and i went all virtual and like this last week, I was running a race in Revelstoke, British Columbia with my sister, which was incredible. It was great. But I also did not see my clients for a week. And yesterday, as I was about to meet with some people, I was recognizing in myself, I was feeling a little lost, a little purposeless. And it was a good reminder how much my work feeds me and makes me feel like yeah, this this is why I do what I do. This is why I'm here. So I, th I think that's the answer is just staying really connected to uh, the work I do and 
that I I am making a difference, even if I can't always see it or feel it. <laughs> Do you think that that still falls back to like the, the societal pressures that we just see, whether it be via social media or whatever? Because I, I know I run into this too. It's like, well, you know, if I'm so passionate and I'm, you know, oh, this person says I'm good at this or I, I help them with this. Like, why is, why is my following not as big or why is this not as big do you think it's that same sort of thing and it's like we just fall into that trap of and i think it's just normal human nature it's nothing wrong right it's but it's it's just the standard way of like how we measure our success and it's like well we should be more successful even though we know that that's not what it should be it's like we just fall into that trap yeah i think it's a it's nuanced for me there's definitely if i'm not aware there's definitely an extrinsic piece. Like I should have more followers. I should have a bigger footprint. I should be doing more, should, should achieve the critic. Uh, it, it is easy for me to fall into that trap. When I'm more aware, I think it's, it's less about that and more about just wanting to feel connected. Interesting. Um, you know, I'm extremely lucky that I see clients throughout the week and even though it's on Zoom, usually, uh, you know, we're really open and honest and real with each other. And that breeds real connection. Uh, and I, I didn't believe at the beginning of COVID that I could feel connected on a Zoom call, but I've, I've learned to do that. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think it's multifaceted. And like anything else, when I'm not aware and caught in my critical voice, it's different than when I am aware. Uh, but it's kind of the same feeling, just two sides of the same feeling. And, you know, I, I just try to, when I recognize that I'm struggling, uh, step into gratitude and appreciation and connect with people on purpose because and meditate. All of those things seem, seem to set my mindset right almost immediately. That's awesome. My last question is, what makes you different as a coach than other people? Because, I mean, there's no shortage of coaches in the world, right? So why would someone use you over anybody else? Yeah, I think there are some great coaches and we all have different strengths and skill sets. I think my strengths and what makes me different, I'm extremely heart-centered. Of course, there are other people who are, who are heart-centered. I think I really bring a broad range of experiences and knowledge. You know, I'm I'm a nutritionist. I'm a fitness expert. I'm a mindset expert. I'm a weight loss expert. Like I've, I've done all of these things over the last 20 years. So I think sometimes that's hurt me, particularly if I'm trying to build a program or something, because I've, at times I've been everything to everybody, but I think where that's a strength is that, uh, I have really become good at a whole host of things. Um, all of which are important for change and all of which are important for expressing all of who you are, you know, where somebody might be able to help you with bicep curls and somebody may be able to help you as a business coach and somebody may be able to be your dietitian. I'm like a, a full holistic life and performance success coach. Uh, so again, that used to feel like a weakness and now it really feels like a strength and I lean into it. And uh, it's, it is who I am and, and what I'm passionate about is really helping people find and step into all of who they are, the best of who they are. Man, that's awesome. And I, I can't thank you enough for sharing so many insights. I feel like I could have had like three separate podcast interviews with you, <laughs> um, but now I appreciate it.
Sure. It was really fun. And I, you can have me back anytime. I would love to chat with you. Sounds again. good, man.